we're looking uh, about the claims of the Bible. And I want us to look in, in Psalm 41, and we're going to begin reading at verse 1. This is one of the Psalms of David. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. And the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. And you do not, do not give him and you do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his sickness, you restore him to full health. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the promises of your word. And Lord, we pray that today you'd let this word, Father, do a transformational work in our hearts. Let us see our world differently, Father, because of this day. Touch us and guide us and awaken us to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, here, here's what I'd like for you to do today. On your notes, uh, I want you to take just a moment and write the name down of somebody that you know, uh, that you're acquainted with, that has a, a, a fairly good need in their life. We all know somebody with a need. Who in your life do you know uh, who has a need? Take a moment. Get that name in your head. I'm going to give you just a second. Think about it. Uh, somebody with a need in their life right now. Some of you are diligently writing. Some of you are looking at me like, what, am, what is he saying? I hope you're with me here. Somebody with a need in their life. You may want to leave your Bibles open uh, to Psalm 41. We're going to come back to it a couple of times throughout this message. We're talking about the claims of the Bible. And this psalm that was written uh, by David, you know all the psalms are not written by him. In the month of August, we're going to take five Wednesday nights here in the auditorium to do an overview of the psalms. Uh, we're going to start that a week from Wednesday. We're going to wrap up our series this Wednesday night on 1 Corinthians 14. When you come out of this series of Psalms, if you'll come and be with us for those five weeks, you're going to get some knowledge about the Psalms. Some, some, we're going to kind of fill in some blanks for you about the Psalms. But most importantly, we're going to talk about why are the Psalms important to your life today? When should you read them and why should you read them? There's several reasons you should read them, and, and several that has several the, the Psalms have several. Uh, the purpose of them is, is multiple in our lives. Uh, but one of the things I, I always tell people when they're worried, you're worried about something. Something's going on in your life, and you're concerned about it. And it's keeping you up at night, or it's filling you with stress. You need to read the Psalms. Uh, you need to look at the message of the Psalms. You need to understand what the, Psalm, what the Psalms say to us. So we're going to take five weeks in August and kind of give you an overview of, of the five books that are within the Psalms, what they say and what they're telling us, and really look specifically at some of them 
uh, so that we can get a, a good, good grip of it. Now, let me just kind of start with this one here today. If you've studied the stories of the Bible, then you know about David and his son Absalom. David made some really big mistakes in his life. And uh, one of the big mistakes and one of the errors in his life is the way David really had relationship with his kids. He's, he's not the best model for a father-son relationship uh, with, to, to look at and say, hey, I want to be like David in that way. David had some fabulous qualities that we want to be like. He had a heart after God that uh, was, was marvelous. But uh, at one point, his son Absalom kills one of his half-brothers. He kills this half-brother because this half-brother has raped Absalom's full sister. He, he does this in a moment of passion. Absalom ends up taking this sister into his home, who the Bible says is now dramatized, completely broken by this set of circumstances for the rest of her life. And Absalom sits back and waits for something to happen. And nothing happens. David knows about it. They know what took place. And one of David's failures at this moment is he did nothing. So the day comes... When Absalom uh, plans a party, invites everybody to come to it, gets all the half-brothers and full brothers and sisters, gets everybody there, and in the middle of this thing, he has plotted out a course, and he has his half-brother killed. He then flees to another place for fear of what could happen to him. But David, in this moment, mourns for Absalom. He has some regrets about all of this stuff, and, and he mourns for him. And after a couple of years, another couple of years go by, he restores him, lets him come back to Jerusalem. But for the first couple of years back in Jerusalem, he will not let Absalom come into his presence. Absalom's still out there. Finally, after a couple of years, he kind of restores it a little bit with Absalom. Now, Absalom was a, and it, the Bible says he was a really a handsome young man. He was a, a charismatic man. He could gather people around. He was a leader. He was clever. And he was ambitious. And in the middle of all of his ambition, in the middle of all these things happening, this bitter root towards his dad has grown up. He didn't do anything about it. He, he didn't spend a lot of time with him when he was a kid. He didn't do anything about his sister being raped. He you know, had to run off after taking care of this business with my half-brother. He finally let me come back. He wouldn't let me come into his presence. He's not all that excited about his dad, David. And he begins to use this power. In the middle of this, David's getting older. 
in the middle of this, David is suffering from some illnesses that he's going through. And in the middle of all this, David is busy doing the work of the kingdom. So for the next three or four years, Absalom does everything he can to steal the hearts of the people. While David is dealing with his age and his illness and the business of the kingdom, Absalom's sitting out at the gate, hugging on the people, loving on the people, helping the people, building relationship with the people. And he gains the love of the people. And finally, after about three or four years, Absalom attempts a coup. David would be forced to flee for his life from Jerusalem in the middle of the night. In the middle of all this, as David is fleeing in his illness and fleeing in his old age and fleeing at the last minute, it comes to David's attention that not only has Absalom betrayed him, but one of his lifelong advisors, one of his lifelong associates, one of the top, if not the top advisor to David, has sided with Absalom. He has gone over to Absalom's side. David, old and sick and betrayed by his son and by his friend, has now fled into the night, desperate for their life. And it's during this time that David writes this psalm, the one that we're looking at today. Jesus would quote from this psalm in the Last Supper. At the Last Supper, he would talk about being betrayed by a friend. Now, with that knowledge in mind of what happens at the Last Supper, and with that knowledge in mind of what's going on in David's life when he writes this psalm, let's look back at Psalm 41, and let's read through it together. Listen to what it says. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? And when, will, and when one comes to see me, he utters empty words while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he, where he lies. Even 
my close friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me, but you have upheld me because of my integrity, and you set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. It's important to note here that when he talks about blessed is the one who considers the poor, he doesn't go on to say that no problems ever come their way. He tells us that even when we're doing the right things and even when we're in the right places, sometimes troubles come our way. Now, he begins to talk almost immediately about what happens in those times of trouble and what takes place. At this point, everything is going against David at this time. All his bad decisions are coming home. He was tired and sick and on the run. And yet David, one of the things that I think God loved about David is that even in this moment, even when everything is crashing around him, he's not questioning God. He's not angry at God. No, when all these things are happening around him, he still is seeing his life through the reality of God being involved in his life. That the outcome of his life is still in God's hand. And as he sits down to pen this psalm, he starts by thinking about the person who considers the poor. Now, we don't know for sure, was he thinking about those who were helping him when he said, blessed is the one who considers the poor, or was he holding on to the promises of God that he had considered the poor? Either way, This is the promise that is repeated consistently throughout Scripture. This is something that we find again and again, that God remembers the person who considers the poor. In fact, in the Proverbs it says, to give to the poor is to lend to God. In other words, God becomes a debtor to the person who, who has considered the poor and has done something about it. When we do that, when we act in that way, when we have empathy for the poor and do something about it, it gets the attention of God. Now, this is not just the financially poor, even though that's true. This this appeals to us to give sympathy to the emotionally poor, the person who is emotionally broken through the circumstances of life has been broken in life. This is the person who is spiritually poor, who doesn't know who God is and doesn't know the riches of God. Or maybe they are a Christian or maybe they are a follower of God, but they're going through some things in life and they, they, they feel broken on their own. And the person who considers them, this is the relationally poor, the person who is on their own, 
has no place else to go, who's without family. The person who empathizes with others in need, he's reminding himself and reminding us they will find the blessing of God. Now, the word blessing, if you've been around here a lot, you know we've, we've talked about this word a lot. It has several meanings in the Bible. Uh, one of the meanings that it has is to be empowered by God, but the meaning that, uh, that this word has is the same as the word in, uh, it's the same word that, that Jesus uses when he, when he preaches on the Sermon on the Mount and he goes through the Beatitudes and he says, blessed are those who are poor, blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, blessed, and he goes through this word. This word blessing in this sense means that this person has inner happiness, inner joy, that even in their moment of trouble, even in their moment of sorrow, that they sense the satisfaction that comes only from God, the happiness of fulfillment in life that only God can bring, a sense that their life matters and that their life counts. It is the opposite of the world's pathway to happiness. This happiness, this joy, is, comes from dependence upon God and obedience to God, and as us walking in obedience to Him, and we're being told that one of the ways that God's happiness, God's joy, God's fulfillment flows into our life is as we consider the poor. The emotionally poor, the spiritually poor, the relationally poor, the person in need. That this process, that God's happiness is found in the serving of people in need. While the world says happiness comes from the getting. I get more things. I get better positions. I get more of what I want. And that's the way to happiness in life. God is telling us, no, it's in the serving. David is telling us, no, it's in the considering of those in need. This is where true inner happiness comes from. Inner happiness, inner joy, inner peace that comes from God that this world can't experience. The joy of this world is temporary. It's one thing, and then I need another thing, and then I need another thing. Where the happiness of God comes the joy of God comes from his presence. Now listen, this considering goes past the point of simply emotional empathy. We see them, oh, I feel bad for them. I feel sorry for them. I wish their life was better. You know, I wish they had something more. No, no, no. This considering is an active word. This considering is a word that's of, of something that's going on in David's life at this time. This considering goes past the point of emotion to the point of action. What can I do to lift their load and to make their load lighter? The person who considers the poor in this Scripture is going to find the blessing of God is a person of action. They're a person that sees the other person in need, has empathy in their heart, for the need, and goes about the process of doing what they 
have the power to do to help the person in need. There were many at this time in David's life who were working to destroy him, including, as we've said, one of his closest lifelong advisors and one of his own sons. But if you take the time to read the story about David, as he fled from Jerusalem, you'll find that there were others that were helping him. There were those who showed up with food for him, and he said, what is this that you're bringing to me? And he said, they said, we've heard what's happened. We know you're going to need sustenance on your journey. We brought food for you. We brought, a new, you know, we brought donkeys for you to ride. That'd be like showing up with cars. We brought cars for you to drive so that you can get away and that you can be safe and so that you can have food. Others came and pledged their allegiance to him and said, we're going to go with you wherever you go. We, even though we have to leave our homes, even though we have to leave our safety, David, we're with you. We're going to stand with you in this battle. And when it comes down time to fight, we're fighting on your side. There were advisors that came and surrounded him and said, no, we're your advisors. We stand with you. We believe you're supposed to be the king, and we're going to walk with you. Yeah, there were some who cursed him. There were some who fought against him. There were some who aligned themselves against him. There were some who imagined the worst for him. But there were others who came and traveled with him and were ready to fight with him. These were people who did not remain neutral. This is a stance a lot of people like to take in the middle of troubles for others. They kind of take this neutral stance. But this is not the person who gets the blessing of God. At some point in time, you've got to take a stand. And these people took a stand. They were his friends. Even some of his close advisors that stayed would excuse this thing away and they would say, well, we're, we're here to stay with Absalom because what we're really about is we're really about the kingdom and it looks like Absalom's going to win and so we've got to think about the kingdom and not David. But there were others who said, no, we believe David's the king and we're going to stand for him. He's the anointed. These, there were those who in the darkest hour of David stood by his side this is our call at times, to look at people going through their darkest hour, to see people going through a rough time, and to stand by their side and do our best to help them. The Spirit-inspired Word gives hope to all of those who, are, who help those in need. Now, let me, I'm going to read about five verses here. And I, I just want you to think about, I'm going to try to point out the promises to those who consider the poor. Listen to what David says. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. They're going to experience the happiness, the joy, the pleasure of God in their life. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. He says to him, now listen, the day's going to come when you're the one in trouble, when you're the one going through a dark hour, and you can count on this as you've considered others in their dark hour, God's going to consider you in your dark hour. 
The Lord, number uh, verse 2, the Lord protects him and keeps him alive. It says that person who considers the poor, God himself is going to be a protection for him. He is called blessed in the land. People see that his life works. Good things happen. The things of God, the promises of God unfold in his life because he has considered the poor. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The enemies can't win. God's will is going to come about. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. Is there anybody in this room that doesn't want a life like that? That you know that in the day of trouble, God is with you. He is on your side. When a person considers the poor, the promise is that God considers that person when they're in need. It's not a promise that you'll never have troubles. It's a promise that in your troubles, you can count on God. This is what David was doing. This is where David was standing in his life. He knew he had troubles. He was having to get himself out of Jerusalem fast in the middle of the night. His life and the kingdom was at stake. But he was still seeing his life through the eyes of a God follower, through the eyes of one who believed he could put his trust in God. And he knew and he trusted that God would help him. Friends, when your heart, when you have a heart that turns from self and turns to being one that helps others, you get the attention of God. When you begin to live your life not thinking about what am I going to get for myself, but how can I use what I have to be a blessing for others, you get the attention of God. He takes note of the heart that says, what I have is a gift of God, and what I use it for to bless others is a good thing. When that heart of greed gets pushed out and that heart of helping others gets, to, gets moved into place, into our heart, God pays attention to that. Listen, when God nudges you, when He kind of pushes you, when He makes you aware of somebody in need, and you do something about it, God takes note of that. When God nudges you and says, you know, hey, there's a kid who needs to go to camp. He can't go to camp. Why don't you help that kid go to camp? And you say, you know what? I think I'll help a kid go to camp this year. Not only does it help that kid, and we had 90-some kids down at camp this week. Everything I've heard has been fabulous about how great a camp it was and the things that happened in their life and the spiritual times that they had. And there were kids in that group that their mom and dad, you know, sent them and, and helped them go. There were other kids that raised money themselves. So they, and there were some kids that could, didn't have any way to do any of that. And some of you in this room helped sponsor them and help those kids go have this great spiritual experience. Well, let me tell you, not only did they have a great spiritual experience, but God has plans for you too. 
God takes note of it. When we feel the nudge of God and we do something about it, when God nudges us, give that person a call. Get on the phone right now. Give them a call. Encourage them. Uh, you, you don't even know what's going on there, but give them a call and encourage them. And you do it. God takes note of it. When, you, when God gives us that nudge, go see that person. Go see them. Go spend some time with them. And you get up and you go and you spend some time with them. And you encourage them. God takes note of them. When God says, hey, take some food over to their house. I've heard they're going through a, a, an illness. You hear they're going through something. Take something over their house. And you get up and you, you go make their load lighter. God takes note of that, friend. When you help them, you go mow their yard or you go help them in their life. Maybe God moves and says, go give them, you know, some money. And you do it. The Bible says that God considers the person who considers the poor. When you act, it not only pleases God, but he becomes defensive, defensive of those who are his instruments. Let me say that again. It not only pleases him, but he becomes defensive of those who are his instruments. Sometimes we know the need, and sometimes we get a direction, and it's just, you know, God. When my parents were, uh, were in Bible school, my dad had, was out of the Marine Corps. He had been discharged for the wounds that he had in the war. And uh, in the course of time, he really gave his heart to God and felt this calling in the ministry. And he sold the stuff that he had uh, when he felt the call to go in the ministry. He sold the things that he had and, you know, bought a brand-new Packard. Now, we can talk about the stewardship of that some other time. That's what he did. He bought a brand new Packard, and he went off to Bible school. A wounded vet, as a wounded vet, his tuition would be paid, and he would be getting some money each month from the government to help him live while he was in school because of his war wounds. But that money was slow in coming. Now, they'd sold everything they had and bought the Packard. Now, the money's slow in coming, and it wasn't long. You know, they're living in the married rooms. They're not on a food program. It's not long until they're just about broke. They got nothing. They don't have much food. And if you knew my dad, he was too prideful to ask. He wasn't going to go ask people to help him. And one day, another student comes up to my dad and says to my dad these words, This makes me mad. You know, I see that car you're driving. I know you don't need any money. But God has told me to give you $20. That'd be like giving somebody $200 now. God's told me to give you $20. And God will not leave me alone until I give this to you. Now, that man didn't know that my dad needed it desperately at that moment. He had a little girl at home, and my mom was at home. He didn't know he needed that money desperately. He thought he didn't need it at all. But God knew he needed it. Those guys, my, that guy was one of my dad's lifelong friends. But he felt a nudge of God. He did what God would have him to do. See, friends, when you feel that nudge, you never know the full story. 
You may never know the fullness of what's happening. But when you, when you follow that nudge, when you follow the leading of the Spirit, which is, you know, kind of, it's kind of easy when you see the need, isn't it? Kinda, it's easier when you see the need. But sometimes we have to follow it when we don't see the need. You open the door to, cons- to God considering your need. You open the door to God saying, that's one that has my heart, and I'm going to make sure their needs are met in their time of trouble. You become one that God, that the Lord guards against all enemies, and you open the door to future healings in your life. A few minutes ago, I challenged you to write down a name of someone in need. Someone you know in need. I want to challenge you today to pray about that person and to think about what can you do to make a difference in their life. What can you do to help them? What can you do to make their life a little bit better? How would God have you consider? Maybe they're just emotionally broken. Maybe they're relationally broken. What can you do? How would God have you consider them? This is how God's economy works. This is the nature of God's kingdom. That when we let God's blessing flow through us, God's blessing and protection rests upon us. Amen? Let's stand together today and let's pray. Prayer teams, would you come on down front, please? Father, I know that through us, you want to raise up an army of men and women that, Father, will see others in need and be your hand extended to them. That we will reach out. We will help them, Father, and be by their side during times of need. And so, Father, I just pray that you'd help us to consider the poor. I pray that when our hearts uh, hear about devastating storms that come into other parts of the world, that, Father, our hearts would leap towards action. When we hear about churches that need to be built around the world, that our hearts would leap to action. That, Father, when we hear about a friend going through a need or when you nudge us about somebody that we know, that, Father, our hearts would empathize, our hearts would be like your heart, and that you would lead us to proper action. That we would use our gifts, our talents, and our resources. to make somebody else's battle an easier battle, a lighter load. They would know they have friends around them that won't betray them, that won't walk away from them, that won't leave them alone as they flee, but will walk with them in the hour of trouble. For Father, we know from your word that you bless those who consider the poor. Lord, we're thankful today that you did that for us. That when we were poor and spiritually broken, that you loved us so much that you sent your son. He came and paid the price 
so that every one of us could be born again. Lord, you know the condition of every heart in this room. And we pray that today, Father, in Jesus' name, if there's a person here today that has not surrendered their heart to you, that today they would receive this great gift of salvation that your Son offers to us. In Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. I'm not going to take a long time with this. I'm going to give you this one moment. You'll say, Pastor, today as you've talked, I, I, want, I want to live in God's economy. I want to accept the gift that Christ has offered to me when he went to the cross for me. I want to put my faith in him to be my Savior. If that's you, just raise your hand right now, just for a moment. Just raise it. Let me recognize it. God bless you. I see that hand. Anyone else? God bless you. Anyone else? You'll raise your hand and say, pray for me today. Let's all pray this prayer together. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I put my faith in Jesus to be my Savior. I put my trust in Jesus to be my Lord. Now help me to live for him who died for me. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to encourage you today as you go out of this place to really pray and think about what are you going to do to consider the poor this week. Maybe you wrote a name down, maybe you didn't. Maybe tomorrow somebody will point, God will point somebody else out to you. Don't just sympathize with them. Ask the Lord, what would you have me do to make their load lighter? To be your light in their life today. How can I help? That's what we've got to ask ourselves. Now today, we're going to open these altars, and if you have a need in your life of any kind, we want to extend prayer with you. We, we believe prayer changes things. And so as we sing this course, you step out and come. If you raised your hand, you're one of those folks who raised your hand, I want to encourage you to come down and let somebody pray with you today and to give you some things that will help you in your walk with God. We want to help you in that. But as we consider the poor, God will bless you. And God will bless our community. Amen. Hey, I love you. God bless you. I'll see you.